0: Welcome to the Veterinary Career Services Podcast, where we talk with veterinary specialists about hospital culture, career insights, work-life balance, professional growth, and other aspects of being a veterinarian. I am your host and the CEO, Laura Anderson. Thank you for joining me. It serves
1: us well to have that time for for stretch or rehydration or to evaluate how we did and what we can do to make ourselves better. If we were constantly running marathons on the daily, our body eventually is going to create a boundary in and of its own. But if we're proactive with those, if we validate and understand like, wow, this is gonna be an intense day or an intense week, what am I gonna do or set aside to keep sacred so that I do have that chance to recover and not then in, in living my life reactively rather than proactively. they come in many forms, but these check-ins and these moments for those little bursts of rejuvenation and recovery can be very simplistic. They just need to be frequent.
0: Today, I am speaking with Leah Marone, a licensed clinical social worker. Her extensive clinical experience includes working with high achieving individuals to improve their self-awareness create healthy boundaries, and build resilience. Leah is a published author and well-known speaker in this area. Hi, Leah, I'm so excited to talk with you today. Hi, Laura, thanks for having me, it's my pleasure. Absolutely, I'm thrilled. As a recruiter, I work with many veterinarians and veterinary specialists, and I am hoping this podcast will help those doctors who are feeling overwhelmed, stressed, burnt out, or just not enjoying their work anymore. So I was hoping to give them some resources and some tools uh, to help them get back on track. Absolutely, I'm happy
1: to provide and hopefully provide some of those tools that can help with that. Um, It sounds like they are, they're in a field that's not only requires a lot of empathy and compassion, but I know the rigor is intense. So yes, hopefully we can have a discussion today that they can take away some tips and tools that can help them with that rejuvenation and recovery.
0: Well, many of the doctors that I work with are or have been competitive athletes, whether a collegiate athlete or they're in training now as a triathlete or an Ironman or other disciplines. So, my first what question would be around this innate competitiveness and/or perfectionism. And I know you were a Division One college athlete, so this is is right up your alley. Is it possible to let go, and will this? letting go improve your work and your, your professional satisfaction.
1: That's a great question. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's not even just athletes, but people with, you know, kind of that go-getter mentality, that perfectionism. Yes. We tend to suffer from having a very, very strong inner critic, if you will. You know, Mm -hmm. someone, part of us that just kind of is always there in the background critiquing and kind of pushing us higher and higher, which is a great thing in a lot of respects. You know, that that kind of results in, in success in any definition. But to your point, it's like when that is... in in excess, or that is constantly the structure of, of everything. That's what leads to that disconnect, that lack of presence with things, and just that overwhelming sense of urgency. And I think we lose out and miss out on, again, being in the moment and just even taking the time to celebrate and to recover. And so I think there is, it takes like anything, especially with athletes. They're very familiar with the word reps, right? We we, we have to get our reps in. And so when we think about even recovery in the sense of emotional recovery um, and even mental recovery, It's the same sort of thing. We have to get our reps in. We have to make this part of our practice so that we can have enough space to access presence. We can be in the here and now with what we're doing, whether it's training for something, whether it's working, whether it is relaxing and being in touch with what we need to rejuvenate. And so there's a lot of times that, you know, with athletes, I'm sure they, you know, the ones listening, and even if, if they're not, they don't consider themselves athletes, there's listeners on here that are incredibly disciplined. If I had to take a guess, they have incredible sense of structure. They're given a task, they're able to do it. And, you know, the thought of relaxing. The thought of rejuvenating sometimes is like, ah, yeah, but that's not productive. And so I, a lot of times invite people to really capitalize on just the transitions within their day. Thinking about physical changes when they're going from one location to the next, when they are, you know, just even moving from one room to the next, one task to the next, one conversation to the next. There's so many different types of transitions throughout our day. And these are wonderful opportunities to, you know, increase connection with ourselves, to collect data, to just have those quick bursts of how am I doing? What can I soak up here and now? How's my body feeling? On a scale of one to 10, where do I fall? What feeling would I identify with right now? And this is a way not to fix and solve and and to critique and judge how we might be in that moment, but it's a way again to collect data and to check in. And we don't do that enough. So things pile up, we suppress things, we have what I like to refer to as these suppression bubbles, and then when we do have a window or even a forced window of rest, then that's when all of those things that we haven't given any mind to or any, any time to seem to rise up. And we have bursts of anxiety. We have bursts of exhaustion. We have bursts of detachment. We feel overwhelmed and we crash and burn and then have to go through the whole process of rejuvenating and picking ourselves back up. And that's an intense cycle that many people find themselves in. It's that up and down flow of I'm okay, now I'm not. Now I'm okay and now I'm not. And that's exhausting just even talking about
0: it. Uh Uh-huh. You know, it's interesting. I don't think I've told you, but my husband is a horse veterinarian. And when I'm at the hospital watching him work, He's constantly one patient to the next and their technicians around and then the owners are around and the other veterinarians and it's just constant. So if I'm hearing you correctly, for example, if you're a small animal internist, between going to rooms or between procedures, if you walk out into the hall, close your eyes, take a deep breath, have a reset, is that what you mean? Is that one way to kind of check in and reset and, and, and kind of preserve yourself? Sure, that's a wonderful example. I think
1: too the reality of having that, you know, remembering to do that or even having even that space to do that sometimes is rare, right? I I understand the pace sometimes of what we're talking about and, and the profession that we're talking about. But if if you have a day like that, which I'm sure many of you listening are thinking a lot of my days are like that, yeah. I'd invite you to then think about, okay, so I've had this long stretch of several hours or this week. What am I going to do or what am I going to almost Schedule in or keep sacred and view as a non negotiable to give myself a chance to recuperate. So, just like athletes, you know, at the end of that marathon, at the end of that game, at the end of that intense training session, it serves us well to have that time for for stretch or rehydration or to evaluate how we did and what we can do to make ourselves better. If we were constantly running marathons on the daily, our body eventually is going to create a boundary in and of its own. But if we're proactive with those, if we validate and understand like, wow, this is going to be an intense day or an intense week, what am I going to do or set aside to keep sacred so that I do have that chance to recover and not then in, in living my life reactively rather than proactively? So it they come in many forms, but these check-ins and these moments for those little bursts of rejuvenation and recovery can be very simplistic. They just need to be frequent.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would think that the challenge for veterinarians and for many people, even myself, is one, understanding the importance of self-care. And then once you make the decision to set aside a few minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes for self-care, but honoring that commitment and understanding that that is as important as your patients, because if you're not where you need to be mentally, then you're not giving them their best. Would that be a fair statement?
1: Yes, it is. And that's, and that is, that's incredibly hard. We can all say that logically and emotionally. Sometimes it's harder to convince ourselves, right? Yes, But it is, it's one of those things that, you know, even self-care, I love that that phrase has been, you know, even more prevalent in conversations over the last several years. But it's interesting that I feel like so many people, even with self-care are multitasking. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm gonna do this for myself, but I'm also going to, you know, play Candy Crush and eat something and talk to someone at the same time. <laughs> so it's like I'm gonna run on that treadmill and eat my chocolate cake at the same time. And it's like, wait, what are you trying to enjoy? What are you trying to fix? What's what's the goal here? And so even thinking about things that you might be doing that you categorize as, you know, self-care, thinking about am I truly reaping the benefits of that, or am I creating high expectations, unrealistic expectations, or just simply multitasking and it's over and I really haven't been present with it. So that's a big thing too, is just really understanding what truly works for us. And are we truly giving it the energy and the time that it deserves? Or are we trying to cram too many things
0: in? So what are the some ways to practice self-care that you think would work for veterinarians? yeah well, I think a
1: framework that I, th- I feel like is incredibly helpful, um, especially when you're you're dealing with people such as veterinarians that I know have very intense schedules and maybe not as much time to add different things in. But thinking and, and taking a step back and kind of analyzing your day as it already is, your typical work day, and thinking about implementing what I like to refer to as bookends thinking about having an AM bookend and something that is yours, that is sacred. It could be in the form of a workout. It can be in the form of, of meditation. It could be walking down the street with your dog. It could be sitting out back with your cup of coffee and avoiding the temptation to check your emails and pack your lunch and you know all the things that you could be simultaneously doing with that, with that cup of coffee. So taking something maybe that you already do even if it's brushing your teeth, and really focusing and being present with one thing. Trying to be in the here and now, scanning your five senses and really soaking up, you know, that current act or that current that current space. And then again, having something in the PM that is just strictly yours. It doesn't have to be this big monumental thing. It could look different from day to day, but it gives you that opportunity to check in with what do I feel like I need? What sounds nice? And what am I capable of being present with? And having those two things that you kind of lean on in the beginning of your day to set a tone, and then at the end of your day to validate what you've done, and also coming to grips with sometimes everything in the middle of those bookends, we don't have much control over. It could be a lot. It could be a mess. But we still have that trust that we're going to get through it as we have days before, and we have something at the end of it that's ours, that's sacred. And I think that's a really great, realistic way, especially for, you know, overachievers, perfectionists, highly successful, you know, people with crammed schedules. It's a great way. It just sometimes needs that reframing of things that you're already doing and and preventing yourself from multitasking and not reaping the benefits of that present that goes along with them. Okay. Okay.
0: And I think that seems realistic, just actually working and, I mean, living with a veterinarian. I I see my husband... um, you know, he could certainly fit that in his day. And a lot of days he does, because as you said, their days are very unpredictable. Another question I wanted to ask was, as veterinarians are highly accomplished individuals, imposter syndrome is still a term that is heard fairly frequently in our industry. Can you tell me more about this and how to, to cope with this?
1: Sure. So, it, you know, I kind of the one... Misconceptions about imposter syndrome, you know, is is it doesn't really affect you know quote unquote successful people, and I and I, I'm, I honestly think those are more so the the victims, if you will, of imposter syndrome, or the perpetual thought processes that go along with it, simply because of that commonality with that intense inner critic, right, and viewing things as kind of this pass fail, black white, all or nothing and, and kind of missing, you know, we know to enjoy the process. We know that life is the journey, not the destination. We can all spit that out and, and, you know, share that with other people, but it's, truly living it, that's the challenge, right? It's like, logically, we know these things, but emotionally, it's really hard to convince ourselves. And so it's in the imposter syndrome, I think is, it's that that view or that frame that we go into situations with that competitive edge. We're comparing ourselves to others. We're not playing fair and taking everything else into account. And I think that sometimes can be such a self-sabotager And I think a big thing, because I know I've suffered from it myself, is a big thing is to really try to pluck out the ego involved in it. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're filtering most things through yourself and there's this, you know this notion that, that everyone is kind of thinking about you on the same level that you're thinking about yourselves. When in reality, and even if you share with that with someone out loud, it's like, nobody is thinking about you, even a fraction of what you're thinking about yourself. They're wrapped up in their own thoughts, most likely, right? We're kind of Mm -hmm. self-centered, unfortunately, as a species. And so if you think about kind of that reframing of, no one is thinking about me or comparing me and being as succinct with all of this as I am, and I am I truly playing fair? I might be critiquing and analyzing everything with this negative, you know high expectation, unrealistic expectation lens, but am I balancing that out with how I even define success, things that I've done, how I push myself, how I maintain consistency, how I'm able to thrive with structure, whether I created or others created. And so the two takeaways, I think from that are kind of plucking out your ego a bit and then also playing fair. Refraining from that all or nothing thinking and learning how to self-validate, learning how to continue to motivate and have these goals and have this direction, but thinking about how effective is it and is it stagnating me rather than motivating me and allowing for that self-connection and that validation needed for growth.
0: So I mean you're touching on negative self-talk if I'm correct. correct and and but that can be in the background and so although you're having these thoughts like I've got to do this I've got to do this underlying all the thoughts is this baseline of negative self-talk how do you stop that and what can you do to to change that to positive self-talk
1: that's a that is a one of the biggest challenges isn't it and i think yeah. it's first of all just identifying and having the level of self-awareness to pause and understand what your tendencies are what your thought patterns are what typically are your triggers and what leads you down probably very familiar again patterns are kind of those roadblocks and so that's the first step and that's why these check-ins like these moments whether you're capitalizing on transitions whether you're making deliberate time to just check in and understand you know you're collecting that data again where are my thoughts typically going? How am I feeling? I've been feeling like this for a while or this, this theme keeps coming up. So it's first and foremost, collecting that data and having that level of self-awareness because some a lot of people are not even aware of the magnitude or the frequency of their self-talk. I mean, that's a big thing I find in therapy is just hearing people say certain things out loud and then challenging and kind of digging around with what's going on internally. And it's, it's amazing and it's incredibly damaging. So just even acknowledging and kind of gaining that self-awareness of that negative self-talk is is huge. And then it's this whole concept of, okay, what is this actually doing for me? What is the goal of this? And typically it's, it's, you know, I like to frame it as this is your inner protector. We all have these protectors that have generally started to uh, accompany us through life at a young age. And, you know, each protector has a different goal, whether they're protecting us from feeling embarrassed, whether they're protecting us from failure, how we define failure, protecting us from being wrong or shame, whatever it may be. These protectors are fierce. And a lot of times they come in the form of negative self-talk. They come in the form of anxiety. They come in the form of like this this fear, right? And self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And so rather than this, oh my gosh, I want to get rid of this. What's wrong with me? You know, why Why am I so negative? rather than shaming, rather than judging, rather than trying to omit this, reframing this as, okay, this is a part of me that I need to collaborate with, that I need for them to gain more trust in me. Because right now they're saying this so that I don't fail, so they don't mess up, so I don't do this, but they're coming in way too strong. It's almost like my protector is giving me eight bodyguards instead of one. Mm-hmm. And so it's again, it's working collaboratively and showing almost this, in a weird sense, appreciation for this part of you, and really under- uncovering what they're trying to protect you from. It's an amazing reframe. It's an amazing way to kind of align with those protectors and and really understand the source of your negative self talk, rather than just criticizing yourself and trying to ignore it, omit it, and just get rid of it.
0: Right. I mean, I think what I really heard there, which. I think a lot of people might miss is that when you analyze your thoughts and analyze yourself, and it's without judgment, without criticism, but from a place of love or honor or respect, as opposed to picking on yourself, but instead caring for yourself.
1: Yeah. And that is, it's incredibly difficult. And I know a lot of us might have the thought of, I'm really good at doing this for other people, right? I'm really good at (laughs) creating that space. I'm really good at challenging those, those what ifs or that negativity with, with motivating thoughts or reminding them of a time that they pulled through, you know, we're typically good at that, you know, when it comes to someone else, right? We don't have that, that ego involved as much or that emotional connection, internal emotional connection. So you're right, Laura. And it's, it's a challenge and it does, it takes deliberate reps. um, Uh And and again, it's that self-awareness.
0: So when you say deliberate reps, would you ever recommend setting a reminder on your phone and saying, hey, take a breath, you know, where are you now? (laughs) I've done that in the past if I find like I'm getting too ramped up. Would you ever recommend that for, for for your audience or for your patients?
1: Absolutely. And again, I think certain personality types, that's going to work wonders with, you know, I remember having a woman, gosh, it was probably 10 years ago now, but she was a CEO, very high powered, very driven, and just came in riddled with anxiety and just could not focus and be present during meetings or just anything. And her productivity, she was just, it was suffering. Anxiety was taking up way too much space. And she was she lived by her calendar, right? She lived by her mm-hmm. schedule and so what we did was we actually in order to set some boundaries with herself just because these these repetitive thoughts were just kind of sabotaging her day is we actually created her own worry time. We created I think it was like 10 to 10:20 in the morning was her worry time and then she had another uh, another section of worry time in in kind of the, the early evening. And of course right out of the gate she wasn't able to maintain those boundaries, but it was so Incredible because during meetings, when a thought would pop up and kind of derail her attention from what was being said, she had, you know, she'd carry a little post it note or she'd put it at the top of her notepaper and she'd just write a word or she'd write something to to validate that, yes, this is where my thought is going, but I'm going to remember to worry about that at 10 30 or 10 o'clock. I have a time for that. So I'm going to write this down, I'm going to validate it, but I also need to set the boundary and understand that this is not the time to do that. I'm going to have time in a couple hours to do that. And she would worry her heart out during those times. Sometimes she'd be mad. Sometimes she'd cry. Sometimes she'd whatever. And the, the real strength came from transitioning out of those worry blocks. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you, after probably a month and maybe less of doing that and practicing that where she was gaining self-awareness, self-connection, you know, reducing the suppression bubbles, she said, there's been several blocks in my worry time that I didn't really know what to worry about. And it was interesting. And we're like, wow, what are you going to do with that space? I think you still need to covet it. I think you still need to keep it. Right. But so something like that for certain personality types, that works great. It's on their schedule and you got to make a a point to do it just like your workouts, just like other things that you do. For other people like myself, I have an association with every time I'm at a red light now, Uh and normally this works better when I'm with by myself, but every time I'm at a red light, Rather than, you know, fueling the urge or like, you know, giving into the urge of looking at my phone and seeing I have a new message or seeing if there's an update or seeing this or that in the 10 seconds or minute that I'm at a red light. I take that time to look around me. I take that time to scan my five senses. I take that time to just try to be, I know it sounds a little, you know, but be one with my environment, if you will. And that is a cleanse for me. That's something I'm deliberate with. And sometimes it happens four times a day. Sometimes it doesn't happen in the, in a day. But there is a chance and there's an off chance that I'm, I'm going to be at several Red Lights. And those are opportunities. And I've created this association that those are opportunities for me to breathe and just be rather than, you know, give in to the you
0: know, the urge
1: to be distracted and not have dead space.
0: So even something as quick as that can make a difference. Absolutely. And so that's, I think that's the real
1: challenge is really understanding, you know, even for the listeners, understanding what resonates with you, what works best with you. Are you someone that you can kind of say, you know, I go on my walks in the evening and I don't have to have that podcast and this and that going? I can have that silence and that works for me. Or do you need to be more deliberate with the schedule and get those reps in and know that it's going to be uncomfortable? It's not going to feel like it's really doing much in the beginning, but just like someone who's out of shape, you got to stick with it and it becomes easier and your body starts to respond. And it's, it just starts to become one with, you know, kind of your rhythm of your day.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great analogy to keep just like working out. It doesn't feel so great when you first start, but once you get in the rhythm, you see the value and the benefit. So tell me this, Leah, what are some warning signs for our listeners that, some red flags, that they need to to do something or things might start to slide downhill?
1: Yes. And I love how you said warning signs and kind of red flags, because I think a lot of times we forget that our bodies and our minds are on our team. Right. And Mm -hmm. so when we feel certain things like it's our it's basically, you know, again, our bodies or our minds trying to give us a a nudge like, hey, uh, this setup isn't working. (laughs) What else can we do? And I think if we consistently ignore those, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. So it could be, you know, the kind of the common physical symptoms that you might feel that, you know, you're you're kind of finding hard to explain of just kind of the, the frequent temperature changes, the rapid heart rate, the, the changes in breath, the, you know, kind of that jolt and just kind of walking around feeling tight, feeling that you're almost like trying to juggle these certain thoughts, these certain emotions with the, you know, the need to be present, the need to focus, the need to really execute. I think that's exhausting right so and if you find yourself exhausted if you find yourself on the daily like you know what i'm actually sleeping pretty well or i'm attempting to i'm i have a pretty good diet at least from what i know and i'm moving and i have goals and i have structure but i am just completely exhausted all the time what gives that's a really great indicator too i think just emotionally if you've noticed in your, you know you're Irritable. You're more irritable mm-hmm. if you notice that it's harder to access sometimes that empathy and that compassion because those things require a lot of space. Those things require a lot of presence, right? And you know, you, if you think about even if we knew the most empathetic person on the face of the earth, but they ha- you put them in a situation where they're completely overwhelmed and sidetracked and just not taking care of their basic needs, it's going to be harder to access that empathy. And so I think that's another another sign. You're just noticing personality shifts or things that you used to access easily, and they're harder to come by. They're dormant. You know, a lot of people say it's more of like I'm just not as I'm not able to have fun like I used to. That's kind of a sign. Like, do I need to create more space for that? That's something I truly value, and it's something that I'm not honoring or even giving a chance to rise up. So I think a lot of it is is kind of just again those self awarenesses practice, those collecting data that lack of presence, if it's being clouded with futuristic thinking, what ifs, you know, how am I going to do this? What is this person? You know, just kind of overwhelming assumptions. That's a
0: really good indicator as well. So what if you see some of your colleagues, veterinarians work very closely with their technicians and the technicians play a vital role in veterinary medicine. And suppose, you know, an oncologist sees that one of her technicians is really struggling. Is there a gentle way that's a kind, compassionate way to to reach out to somebody else that you would suggest. Yeah, oh, well,
1: that's a great point too. I think that's a really valuable thing, and to kind of you know, especially with colleagues because they understand and they're going through similar things, right? Um, and can relate. And and you're you're with colleagues often, so you can hopefully notice shifts, whether it's in mood or demeanor or energy levels. And so I think yes, those even just how's it going? Or, you know, I've noticed this, you know, just kind of calling out maybe what you've noticed. And again, it's not trying to fix, not trying to solve, not making assumptions. But I think just those frequent check-ins with each other can be so helpful. I mean, I I think, I'm not sure about you, Laura, but I know in times where I was probably visibly a bit lower and someone noticed or even said like, hey, like, how's it going? Or I just, I noticed you seem you know a bit down today or something. Even the fact that someone noticed and put forth the energy to even ask, I think is just a wonderful gesture. And I think sometimes we avoid asking because we put the pressure on ourselves that we know have to know exactly what to say. We have to try to soothe and fix and solve whatever this person might be going through. And that's not the case. You know, it's kind of showing that care and concern and um, just kind of checking in and circling back with each other. I think it's also a wonderful practice, you know, given the field that the listeners are in and just any field that requires, you know, there's a lot of grief involved, there's a lot of compassion involved, there's a lot of unknowns and just, attract, you know, just some very difficult situations. I think it's really important to have one or two people that you feel comfortable um, debriefing with, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was a difficult day, a difficult case, and just kind of having those times for for check-in and sharing. Um, Because again, that helps clear that clutter rather than creating those like, oh, it's fine. Let's just move on. Let's get on with our day. That's going to circle back in some form or fashion. And it's probably, you know, also going to cause different mood shifts and and energy shifts.
0: Right. I mean, to me, that is, it is just somebody recognizing that you might be struggling a little makes you feel better because you're important. (laughs) Then they they Mm -hmm. noticed, you know, I agree with that so much. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Leah. Uh, It has been wonderful. I've learned a lot. I just want to say thank you. And if anyone in our audience would like to reach out with you, work with you, talk with you, where would they find you or what's the best way to get in touch?
1: Absolutely. So my website is com, And then my my email, or you can contact me through my website, but my email is just leah at com. So I'm happy to point anyone in the right direction or, you know, create some space if needed. But yeah. I hope, I hope that there were some helpful takeaways or just even some, some opportunities for self reflection and self-awareness.
0: Absolutely. So it was wonderful to speak with you and thank you again for everything.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And best of luck to everyone listening.
0: <laughs> okay. Bye.
1: Bye.